Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here with Epiphany Communications, coaching and consulting. We don't want you, Uncle Sam, examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z. And to talk with us about that is the author of that book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam by Matthew Weiss. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to talk about this uh, extremely important topic. Yeah, so let's talk about, give us an overview. First of all, what prompted you to want to even write this book? Absolutely. So currently I'm a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps. That's the uh, the junior officer rank. I only joined about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But as I was going through the recruitment process, I, I heard about this recruiting crisis, essentially most of the major military services in the country are not hitting their recruiting goals and they're missing their goals by thousands of service members, the army by 15,000, Navy by five to 10,000, right? These are large, large numbers and large gaps. Mm-hmm. And all the major news stations, both sides of the aisle, major news stations were having segments on this topic. And I would watch the segments, but it would always be a very senior admiral or general discussing the problem. And while they're extremely esteemed and I have great respect for those leaders, they were recruited 20, 30 years ago. So I figured there has to be a Gen Z voice in this discussion, someone that was recently recruited that can talk more directly to the problems that the recruited generation, frankly, Gen Z, is going through. So that's why I decided to write the book. And uh, here I am now. So why is it important for the military to recruit Gen Z people and what are they doing wrong? Absolutely. So Gen Z is defined by uh, Pew Research as anyone born between 1998 and 2012. And so we are very quickly making up more than 50% of the force. Right now, we're about 40% of the force. Mm -hmm. Um, The military always usually recruits a young population is how the model works. And for 50 years, since 1973, at the end of Vietnam, we've had an all-volunteer military. So for the first time, we're really struggling to feel the manpower that we need, right? Eventually, if we continue to have these recruiting droughts, we've had two really bad years, we're going to hit a point where we have to start scaling back our actual political or military commitments. And that's something that I don't think anyone wants. And so that's that's sort of the macro background overview of the issue. Now, when diving in, I like to classify there's three gaps currently with recruiting. There's a, or we're recruiting Gen Z. There's a trust, an identity, and a knowledge gap. And so the trust gap is specifically Gen Z has less trust for certain institutions than past generations. We have a lot of social media. We see a lot. We demand more transparency. And what I mean by that is Pew, uh, not just Pew, but a lot of polling, we used to poll and and their support for the military in the countrywide used to be 80 to 90%. Now that polling is down to 50%. It's still higher than any other American institution. It's higher than Congress, but it's not the same automatic trust that you used to get. So Gen Z has a sort of trust problem with the military. We can go into some of those reasons why uh, later. For knowledge, Veterans make up only 1% of the current American population. There's simply less knowledge about what the military is Mm -hmm. and who 
what military life is. Back in World War II, 10 million person military, everyone had a brother or father somehow tangentially connected. Now it's just a, a much smaller organization. We have much less people connected, much less veterans in society to sort of connect and discuss their experience. And then frankly, the last one is an identity gap, is Gen Z see themselves in this Instagram and Facebook world putting on a uniform and going into service when they could have a, many other jobs, many other careers for them. And that's sort of a struggle we're having. So those are the three major buckets of why there's a recruiting crisis. And so do you think that the military is properly addressing those three major buckets? I think they're trying, but it's a massive bureaucracy. And I think they definitely need some help. Right? I don't think anyone in the military understanding this is sitting there and not actively doing work. In fact, they're trying very hard. I commend a lot of the senior leaders and a lot of the mm -hmm. organizations, like the recruiting commands for being creative and at least being receptive. I mean, one thing I'll say is they've been re very receptive to many ideas. They've been very supportive and receptive to my, mm -hmm. my ideas, right? The, mm -hmm. the book has 21 chapters and discusses all parts of the society and sort of 21 solutions. I'm not claiming to have all the solutions, but they're actively trying to feel this innovate innovative ideas and sort of competition of ideas so they're trying it's just very hard i mean th these are thorny thorny issues what we like to say is a wicked problem meaning there's many facets to these problems right you can't snap your fingers and all of a sudden fix recruiting right these are huge they they fall into social cultural issues they fall into societal issues uh th these are huge issues that over time have to be worked out creatively with a lot of smart people working on them did you narrow down the book into 21 chapters or 21 points? Absolutely. So the way the book is organized is really four parts. The, the first part is recruiting fundamentals or analyzing the basics of Gen Z recruitment and basically trying to get some of these senior leaders and decision makers just to understand my generation, right? Who are we? What are the times that we grew up in? What impacted us? How did Gen Z come of age, basically? That's the first part. The second part is workforce parity and sort of bringing the military working conditions in line with Gen Z expectations of what a modern civilian workplace is. So although the military will never be quite like any other civilian workplace, it's not a normal civilian workplace, certain things can be done to make it a little bit more um, in line with Gen Z expectations of, frankly, what modern work looks like. Uh, part three are those sociocultural influences, those larger aspects of society uh, that impact Gen Z recruitment. We may not have a direct influence in the military on those. Right? Those are much larger than just the military. But understanding and analyzing how those are impacting recruitment is important. And then part four is the scope of service and ways that the military can give back to our society. What is the role of our larger military institution in society today? How do we analyze that and look at that? And so those are the four parts of the book. And each part has a certain amount of chapters that delve deeper into certain specific topics. We're talking with the author, Matthew Weiss, here uh, on It's Your Community. We don't want you, Uncle Sam. It's a book. How do we How do we get the book, Matthew? Yeah, the book is available on Amazon. It's very simple, just a Kindle, uh, soft cover, or audiobook. Audiobook just launched yesterday, and uh, that's the only place it's really sold. Just type in, we don't want you, Uncle Sam or Matthew Weiss on amazon.com or 
there's a book website just to preview the book, uh, www.unclesambook.org. And if you click buy the book on that, it'll take you right to amazon.com. So what personal stories did you share in this book that you could share with us here that had the most impact? Absolutely. So I wrote the book in a way that makes it easy for sort of a common layperson to understand the problem. I think a lot of statistical researchers and government-funded research organizations have written about this issue in very um, complex statistical ways. So I tried to break that down and make that very simple and really anyone could read this, right? It could very much be a dinner table conversation book. Uh, and that's really the goal. I mean, the call to action on the book is to have more Americans thinking about military service and just discussing it, ways that the military could be more appealing, regardless of who you are, regardless of if you ever decide to join, or even if it's you know a tangential friend that you're talking about, anyone can uh, conceive of these thoughts and sort of understand the state of our current military because it really impacts all of us. So on the personal story level, I try to just weave basic little anecdotes throughout my life. I went to a decent business school, had a good business education, and I went to a private sector company before the military just to see how work in the civilian world kind of is. And then I talk a little bit about recruiting and boot camp and just my very short experience so far. Uh, it's not the main part of the book, but to make some of the analysis more uh, connected to home, just more understanding, I add in those anecdotes and make it a little bit of an easier read, uh, hopefully an enjoyable read, obviously, but really able to, for someone to connect to, to relate to, um, and to sometimes laugh at because some of the stories are funny. What prompted you to want to even join the military yourself? That's a great question. And uh, I like to give a very Gen Z answer and I'll explain why. So I think, <laughs> okay. it, exactly. I think so I call internal and external motivators. So internally, I think, yes, I'm patriotic. I cared about serving my nation and I sort of felt the call. And I think a lot of us in Gen Z still are. And that's been, you know, the stated reason, the noble reason for joining the military for many years. I think externally though, I'm very open and saying, I looked at this as the single greatest investment in my career and the single best place for me to learn leadership, right? I wanted to learn how to lead, be able to be a leader one day. And the military really is the greatest leadership factory in the country for that. And so I really wanted that. And, and, and to gain that, I think joining the military was extremely beneficial for that. And so why is that a Gen Z answer? That that second part, the what's in it for me or the WIFM statement, as, as we say, I think Gen Z is very open to saying what's in it for me and to being open about that. And I think mm -hmm. as a society, we need to support that, right? There isn't someone that joins the military, for example, to go to college or to have a first job or joins because they like the camaraderie and, and friendships and bonds that you make. That isn't any less noble than someone that says, I joined because I'm a patriotic and I want to serve, right? I think we have to be open with what is the value proposition of the military? What is the the gain right frankly what is the offering to those that we're trying to attract and quote unquote sell this life of service to right and so i think you know people have some issue with that they say well it's less noble it'll create you know i, I say I, I disagree i think we are a professional force trying to recruit the best of the best people we do not want to lower our standards that would be a bad way to increase numbers and so if we're more open with you know, what are your personal reasons? How can we make this service life 
relatable, beneficial to you? What is in it for you? Let me show you the things that are, that are in it for you. That's a way to actually grow uh, service and just frankly be more transparent with Gen Z, which is something Gen Z actually uh, demands. And how did your time in the military influence writing this book? Yeah, it's been uh, the greatest source of obviously most of the data and thoughts, right? So while surveys are one thing and, and they're um, you know, schooled in statistics and believe in them and polls are super important, right? To actually be on the ground discussing these issues with now probably a thousand service members that I've spoken to gives a lot of credence to the ideas and helps me paint the story in a lot better of a picture. And what I mean by that is, you know, if someone calls you up or a senior high rank says, why did you join the military? They're going to give you uh, one answer, right? Or they're going to give you a specific answer they think they want you to hear, especially if you're a junior enlisted, you know, 19-year-old kid just out of high school. It's a lot different if someone much closer to your age has really in-depth conversation and starts to piece out some of the reasons. So I actually found that asking someone, why did you join, is not like the best um, data gathering answer because people mm -hmm. will shield their usual reason. They'll tell you what they think they want you to hear, basically. Gotcha. Another question that I've been asking is, why did your best friend from high school not join? Why did a person, you know, seemingly similar to you or, you know, a friend of yours, why did they not join? What didn't appeal to them? Did they simply not know about the military? Did they not think about it at all? Or was there sort of a more specific reason that maybe that one time it came up in conversation, they said, well, I don't want to do it because of X, Y, or Z. And so that question has been way more revealing and I think more valuable to understanding what is actually going on at the ground level. And that's why, again, I felt compelled as a junior officer directly at the ground level who has a pretty similar Instagram and social media feed as these, as my peers that are joining and it's the junior list that are joining. I felt that I was uniquely qualified to sort of analyze that and bring that up to light. So um, what kind of research can you expand on that for us in terms of what it took for you to write this book? Absolutely. So it's a lot of compilation of past writing. So that's past other books, past other articles and surveys, statistical surveys, um, states of the nation in various aspects of society, a lot of numbers, uh, sort of quantitative. And I promise I, I don't make the book too like dry where you're just reading numbers all the time. But, you, you, you know, I think statistics and numbers are a key way to tell a story. And so that's sure. that's like the major background research that then is woven in with all those discussions that I've had, right? And I don't reference anyone's name, right? Because everyone's obviously anonymous, but it's all, it's very um, revealing and very interesting when you speak to, I guess, thousands of people, but let's say just 20 people in a week and all 20 sort of say the same thing about the same topic or question. So I like to say, I sort of crowdsource wisdom of the crowds, a lot of these ideas, right? This isn't just me saying, well, this is what I think, you know, you should do some young 25-year-old officer trying to solve these problems. It's very much crowdsourced where you know, it's focused on a topic a week and sit with as many people about that topic. And once you talk to a bunch of people, it was very enlightening and revealing and surprising to hear, you know, all 20 of these people are sort of saying the same thing. That is really the way to fix, you know, specific topic A or specific topic B. So that was, um, that was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty exciting. Let me ask you this, Matthew. I know you uh, you did address the fact that the military is pretty receptive to changes, but how much of a change uh, and how long will it take in your perception of 
you know, what kind of changes do they really need to be receptive to in terms of large changes in recruitment? And how long will it take to turn this around? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a good question to, to really do work on this. It's going to take, you know, at least two to five years, right? This is a macro large problem that every year we just have to innovate and become better on to actually start seeing the numbers change. I don't, we definitely the fiscal year closed. We did not hit our goals this year. It'll be hard to hit our goals next year. Hopefully the trend lines increase. I do uh, believe, and I am cautiously optimistic that we will move in the right direction slowly the trend lines will get slow uh the gaps will be smaller and smaller as we go forward but it may take like i said two to five years to finally re-hit our recruitment goals if we implement certain changes now some of the big ones i like to bucket the the major solutions and again i wrote every chapter with a problem and a solution in the military you're uh, not just allowed to come with problems and wine you often have to be solution based so um some of the, the way I bucket them, they're, they're two buckets. It's sort of the requirements side of things, changing some of the bureaucracy requirements for processes, not lowering the standard, but sort of altering the, the very 1940s industrial mo model that the, some parts of the military are still stuck in. That's sort of the requirements internal side. And then the external perception side, the marketing, branding, perception of the military is extremely important. Right? We are just like any other brand marketing to a specific population and trying to convince them that, you know, a, a very large life change, a life in service or a time period in service is a great appealing path and is something that they should do. And so that perception side is, is big sweeping changes. How do we change specific parts of the military to appeal? Who are we trying to appeal to? How are we going to do this in a delicate and balanced way? Uh, to, to get the best warfighters possible, that that's a bigger, much larger perception battle. And that does take time. I mean, a few Super Bowl commercials are helpful, as you often have seen, <laughs> but it, it doesn't yeah. exactly, but it doesn't yeah. solve the answer totally. Sure. Right? You're going to need a lot more. Yeah. Exactly. We're talking with Matthew Weiss here is the author of the book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z. And you mentioned in your book that the military, like you're just talking about, is typically more conservative while Gen Z is more progressive. Well, how do you close that gap? Yeah, absolutely. And I think these are important issues and things we have to simply discuss. Right. So chapter 14 is about politics and it specifically goes into this. And I think people are so afraid to classifiers say, I think the polls show we can be open and have these mature discussions and conversations, right? The average military member is slightly more conservative than the population on average, usually per the polls. And the average Gen Z voter is slightly more liberal than the population on average per the polls, et cetera, right? And so squaring these two and understanding these two, I think we have to be careful of, we can't swing too far in one direction or the other, right? We can't alienate the traditional base of the military right which has been you know the largest population southern white christian males right that's the largest military population and at the same time we have to recognize there are other groups and thinkers and pockets of the country that should be brought more into the military and we should meld that one thing i'll say the military is such a great melting pot it really is such a positive example of america and america coming together all pockets of it um, you know, we have a great history to build on. So when we go through some of these marketing and branding campaigns, when we go through some of these discussions, we have to be very delicate in that balance and basically respect both sides, right? You can't 
have either political party taking control uh, yeah. for political points of the military. Yeah. And so one of the things that's that we true. call out in chapter 14, in chapter 14, right, we see a lot of these hearings now where you'll they'll haul some general or admiral in front of Congress and one side or the other political party is going to blast them, right, just for political points. They really blast them. They attack them because they don't like something they're doing, et cetera. And it really paints a negative picture that the military, which is an apolitical and should remain an apolitical workforce, it paints a picture that it's becoming a politicized organization. That's that's not healthy and not good for any of us, right? We are yeah. a lethal warfighting organization with one goal, and that is the defense of the nation. So we really it damages our brand when that goes on. And one of the things I call for it, hey, we should have policy discussions. Policies are important. Gen Z wants to have political policy discussion. We shouldn't be political cheerleaders for one candidate or the other, one side or the other. We need to remain apolitical in that way. And um, that's sort of how to square those two. Discuss policy, be open with it, include everyone in the conversation, but don't be political cheerleaders where, oh, I like this party or this party saying this yeah. better, right? That's a it's great a point, Matthew. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because we're such a politically divisive country and we're not, we shouldn't be fighting internally. We're there, there are serious global issues and we have to protect our country and keep us strong. So I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, the military has historically been one of the great shared common experiences to bring people together. Right. I mean, as a person who just recently went through Marine Corps boot camp, I will tell you, no matter who you were before, what background or anything, we are all at the bottom of the barrel equally together in Marine Corps boot camp. And then we built up and it was really a beautiful thing to see um, America come together. People that I had never interacted with before, maybe would never have interacted with, um, go through that very challenging shared experience. And those are some of my closest friends now, you know, so I'll give uh, sort of the macro thesis of the book and sort of what my larger appeal is in, in two ways, if I can. And so my analysis, after asking you know, thousands of people, would you do this all again, regardless of if they're getting out or not, 100% have said yes. Now, there's confirmation bias to that. Many of them may you know, be saying yes because they want to think that the past four years or past whatever years they spent was positive. But I do think there really is the fact that all of them say yes, there is a value proposition to the military. And the value proposition is specifically, it's the world's greatest physical social network. We are the online generation with the first generation with social media from seems like elementary school at this point, right? We have Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, but we are the first, you know, and we're, we're searching in this online world for these connections, for these human connections. And we're the social media generation that exists virtually. But I think the military is the physical social network that exists in the physical world. The bonds you make with your peers in the military are unlike any other job, right? I mean, you're literally... Technically, the person to left or right of you could save your life one day, or you're reliant on them for your life one day. And so those bonds and camaraderie is extremely close and extremely valuable. And I think there really is um, a key, key value proposition there. And that's sort of what I'm trying, what I tried to bring to light with the, with the writing. Yeah, that's a great point. Any any last words you want to share with our listeners here on Nature Community, Matthew, before we let you go? And, and do you have future plans to write more? Absolutely. So uh, definitely no plans to write any initial book. It took a lot out to write the whole, you know, 200 plus page book. Uh, I, I'll have to wait uh, until I rank up a little and have more life experience on that one. 
but no, I do write a lot of uh, op-eds and I, I do continue writing on specific smaller pieces and work. Regarding uh, the larger macro call to action is really just have this conversation, right? Anyone can talk about this. The topic applies to everyone. And it's the goal of the book to make it that dinner table conversation where, hey, let's discuss the military. What is the state of the uh, of the U.S. military? Are people interested in joining? How can we make it more appealing? Even if no one in the family has a military connection and no one is interested in joining, it still relates to all of us. And good ideas good will point. come from anyone in society. So that's yeah. the call to action is just to have the conversation. The book could be used as a guide for that, regardless, just to have this conversation and put it back in sort of the mainstream thought process of America, I think is important. Great point. Thank you, Matthew Weiss, for joining us here in Nature Community. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great Again, day. You can find the book on Amazon. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Any questions or comments, show topics you want us to get to, get to me, Vanessa Dunha, by going to Epiphany Communications. You can private message me from my website, or you can find me on LinkedIn and private message me there, Vanessa Dunha Garmo. I'm also on Instagram and Epiphany Communications on Facebook. As always, we remind you, our listeners, to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. We'll catch you next time here on It's Your Community. It's Your Community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.